0: okay well let me uh let me say a word of prayer and let's get started father we give you thanks uh, you're good to us you're always good to us thank you for the lord jesus thank you for the spirit of god that you've poured out into our hearts uh, so that we know your love and lord uh, we pray that you would build us up in faith as we meet together this morning lord, we pray for bob we pray for your healing hand on his body so that he can be back again, a part of our fellowship as soon as possible. Lord, we just pray that you bless our time together in your Word, and we thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. <coughs> so we've been looking at the prayer at prayers in the New Testament with this idea of what we really need, and uh, the basic idea is if. God, the Holy Spirit, saw to the recording of a prayer for the church in the inspired scriptures, whatever is being prayed for in that prayer must be something that we really need. And perhaps uh, we might also think things we don't find in those prayers are things we don't need quite so badly, uh, though I wouldn't call it a comprehensive list. But uh, So today we're coming to uh, the Lord's Prayer. Oh, except it's not the Lord's Prayer that you usually think of when you say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, not that prayer. Because that isn't actually the Lord's Prayer, even though it has that title. That's actually the Lord's answer to the question, teach us how to pray. So that would be a good prayer for this list, of course, because there you have in the inspired word of God, Jesus saying, these are the things you should pray about, and this is how you should proceed in prayer. But this morning, we're looking at what is normally referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, and we're only looking at the first 10 verses of it, <clears throat> the prayer in which Jesus is, is, in fact, praying. He's not teaching us how to pray. He himself is praying. And uh, this prayer comes at the end of what, what is called, in the book of John, the upper room discourse. So this is the prayer Jesus offers the on the night in which he is then going to be arrested later this same night. So this is within a few hours and within 24 hours of his crucifixion. Uh, And as we look at the prayer, or as we look at the Upper Room Discourse, we know, we can see in the words of Christ that he was fully aware of what was about to happen. And this is the prayer he prays before he goes to the garden. And, of course, there he prays an even more famous prayer, maybe. But uh, so this is it. Uh, We're going to look at just the first, the beginning of the prayer, not the whole thing today. Uh, We'll look at uh, more of it later on. And this is John 17, and I'm reading the first 10 verses. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours." And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. Wow, there's a lot. There's a lot. And there's actually two, well, two somewhat different statements of a very similar request in this text. And I've highlighted those on your handout. The first one is glorify your son, and the second one is glorify me together with yourself. So we just want to see if we can make our way through the text on those two requests. Now, we might think, to me, it's an interesting question. Why do I need that? Is Jesus praying for us? Well, we're going to see the answer to that question uh, as we come close to the end. You see there on your handout, for whom does Jesus pray? And uh, so we're going to discuss that. And then it's a very interesting question to ask, why do we need that? Why do we need glorify your son? Why do we need glorify me together with yourself? Very interesting. So we begin with this, though. He says, Father, the hour has come. Well, already we're a little lost because we jumped here in the middle of the text of the book of John. What hour is he talking about? The hour. Well, if you look in the book of John, there's an hour. There's a the hour that proceeds through the text of the book of John. John. And uh, the first time he says the hour has come is in chapter 12. And so I'm just going to turn back there and look at chapter 12, verse 24. Well, I'm sorry, I should have said verse 23, because that's where Jesus answers. uh, The hour has come. This is John 12:23. You might want to make a note of that on your handout. Uh, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Oh, well, that's exactly what he's talking about in chapter 17, isn't it? Yeah. And then he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Well, there's another connection to John 17, eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I... Now this is the hour for him to be glorified and his soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So, uh, the uh, What is this hour? Well, we know this story. What is the hour that has arrived when Jesus begins his prayer in John 17? It's the hour of his death. And so when Jesus is praying that that the Father would glorify him, glorify the Son, he's talking about his death. And uh, we can see this also in chapter 13. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So the hour has come. What is the hour? It's the hour of Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, And so, Jesus refers to this earlier in the book of John as the son of man being lifted up and it's a clear reference to the cross. He says, this is in John chapter 3 where he says the son of man being lifted up is like the, is like when Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness and whoever looked, whoever trusted in the exalted son, well how is he exalted? On a cross. And so this is the glory of the sacrifice of Christ that he's referring to here. The hour has come. And and then he says something about the ultimate goal, which is that that the Son may glorify you. How does the Son of God glorify God the Father? The answer is through the sacrifice of the cross. And that's the the goal of Jesus is praying for. He's saying, well, you glorify me. You glorifying me is me glorifying you. Those go together. And the the answer to this prayer is the cross. He goes on, he says, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So now we see how this glorification is going to operate. It's through the the dispensation of eternal life that everyone who the Father has brought and given to Christ will receive the eternal life that Christ gives. How does Christ give eternal life? Through the sacrifice of the cross. So all of these things go together. If we look at John chapter 6, by the way, it's a just a good thing to notice that the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 is sort of the drawing together of all of these great themes that have Traveled all through the Book of John up to this point, and in this prayer they all sort of come together. Uh, but anyway, in John six thirty-five, Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me." of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus is saying, uh, you glorify me so that I glorify you, and the answer to the question, how is by giving eternal life to all of those that you have drawn to me who come to me, and I give them eternal life. Then he says something really, really interesting. What is the nature of eternal life? He says this, this is eternal life. (laughs) What is eternal life? That they may know you. So those whom God has given to, to the Son, God the Father has given to God the Son, Eternal life is in them knowing the Father and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the nature of eternal life is knowing God. God the Father in God the Son. Jesus has already said when (laughs) Philip asked him, show us the Father. That's in chapter 14. Well, before we get there, let me, look, let me read uh, verse 40. I think it is from chapter 6. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever looks on the Son and believes in him Uh, And then chapter 14, which is just earlier in the same upper room discourse. Verse 6. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Philip I'm sorry, I I came in in the middle. In verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. From now on, you do know him. Now that is a declaration of eternal life on on these people who are listening. You do know him and have seen him well, how have they seen the Father? He goes on. When Philip says, show us the Father, he said. okay, one more time, Philip. You have seen him because you've seen me. So the nature of eternal life, this is what Jesus says in chapter 17, this is eternal life that they may know you. The very nature of eternal life is to live in fellowship with God. How do we live in fellowship with God the Father, in fellowship with God the Son? And we know, uh, not from these texts, but we know that that is accomplished by the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in at work in our hearts and minds, in our lives, to give us the new birth so that we trust God in Christ, and so we have eternal life. This is the whole glorification of the Son in his death. Then he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Oh, Well, that's not the same glorification that is the glorification realized in the cross, is it? Because it is the glory he had before the world was together. This is the eternal glory that the Father and Son have together. And so in what way does Jesus ask to be glorified? Well, first of all, together with you. Now, this is about where this glorification occurs. Because he says, I've glorified you on earth. Now, now you glorify me together with you. So this is uh, the glorification that is restored, I guess we need to say, in the ascension of Christ following the sacrifice of Christ in His resurrection and ascension to be at the right hand of God the Father again, which He was before and is again in this uh, glorification. So He says, "Together with you, that so." In, he says, "I glorified you. You are here." Now glorify me there. So this is about the ascension and the coronation of Christ. With the glory I had with you before the world was. So that's the glory, the eternal glory of the triune God. Now we need to think about what glory means. In what way can God be glorified What does it mean when we say all things are for the glory of God, which we say, which is true? Anything, everything that exists, exists for his glory. But what do we mean when we say that? What exactly is glory? Well, glory, the very nature of glory is not just greatness. God's glory is not just his greatness. God is perfect, absolute, righteous, holy. All these attributes we could attribute to God, love, joy, God is eternal. Now, just those things alone, that's not glory. Except I just said those things. That's glory. Because here's what glory means glory is greatness seen and appreciated. If I say, if I say, what a great, uh, what a great game that was, that's a glorification of the game. Now, the game was great, whether anyone noticed it or not. But there's no glory if no one notices. Glory is greatness noticed, greatness seen, greatness Appreciated and praised, that's glory. So you can't have glory all by yourself. One person existing in isolation has no glory because glory involves another person. So if we talk about God's eternal glory, we are talking about the Trinity. Because God's eternal glory is greatness appreciated and celebrated among the three persons of the Godhead. If Jesus talks about the glory which he had with the Father before the world began, that's the glory we're talking about. The glory in which the three persons of the triune God rejoice in the greatness of one another. You see... Uh, everything depends on the three-personal nature of God. That there's a there's a a joy and rejoicing in one another. There's a one and in another and in another. There's a rejoicing in one another that is eternal. And if That doesn't exist. There's no reason for anything else to exist. The reason God creates is that. Is that glory which he has among the three persons, which expands in the creation of persons who will also glorify, rejoice, who will be caught up into this fellowship this knowing of one another and this admiration and praise and worship of the greatness of God. It's a it's a stunning thing. And so we exist for the glory of God. Well, so does that star that's way out there so far that nobody's ever seen it yet here on earth. What, what the stars are made to do is make us go, oh my gosh, God is so great. Think of the vastness of the thing he's made. That's glorifying God. It's us admiring and appreciating and praising his greatness. We can, do the, we can look at the world in the opposite direction. I think of this when I go scuba diving because I'm constantly finding stuff that was too small for me to see before. I I took this picture of this, uh, what is it, the shrimp. The shrimp is tiny. So I'm taking a picture because I like taking pictures of tiny stuff sometimes, and I want to see if I can take a picture of the tiny thing that's the shrimp. In the picture, I can see stuff that I could not see when I was looking directly at the shrimp. Like the little tiny, tiny, tiny. This thing is less than half the size of my fingernail. And it's a little, uh, it looks like a feather duster worm. It's this little firework starburst thing on a tube. (laughs) And it looks like nothing when I'm standing there looking at it. And I think, wow and, I, and I'm not looking that close if I got out a microscope I'd find more stuff and I think what an amazing creator you know nobody saw any of those things until about a hundred years ago why were they even there the heavens declare the glory of God that's why The whole earth shows his handiwork. So the closer we look, the greater it gets. And, uh, you know, the whole universe is a personal place. It's not just an empty collection of rocks and random stuff. It's a person. And we exist for the glory of that person's. (laughs) So when Jesus says glorify me with that glory he's talking about returning to the right hand of the throne of God that place of uh, intimate fellowship that existed before they even made anything wow his basis for that prayer is I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work which you gave me to do The word accomplished here is the same word that Jesus used when he says, it is finished on the cross. I've finished what you sent me to do. I've come now to the end. And so, again, this glorification (laughs) envisions the fulfillment of the sacrifice of the cross. So you glorify me with this glory I had before the foundation, you glorify me with this after you glorify the Son through the ministry of the cross. Okay, so how did He finish the work? He says several things. So here, under basis, I've got one, two, three, and four. Are you ready? <coughs> oh, we better speed this up too. Number one, I have manifested your name to the men you gave me. The words which you gave me, I've given to them. The words, that word is not the usual word for word. It can mean just things. What you've given me, I've given them. This was the work of God. Jesus says in chapter 10, I think it is, I know my own and my own know me. So he came, he gave the apostles and those present with him on the earth what God gave him to give them, the words and the things. What are those things? Maybe we'll figure that out. Uh, and he, Then he says, and they have kept your word. Now that is a different word for word. That's the word logos, the word John uses As a name for Jesus, the Word of God who became flesh. And he says, those who gave me kept me. So here's the thing, and Jesus said this repeatedly through the book of John: those the Father draws come. Those who come, he receives. He never turns anyone down. If anyone shows up and says, "I'm with you, Jesus," Jesus receives them. And the only the only people who can come according to the book of John are the ones the Father gave, the ones the Father draws. And so those believe. And we could read all of chapter 1, you know, the in the beginning was the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Son, of the Father, Uh, the only, uh, and so we read in, uh, uh, in John one, his people, when he came, they rejected him, except those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so though they've kept They trusted. They believed in chapter 10. I think we might have already read this. Verse 14, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Do you see how Jesus is tying his fellowship with the Father to our fellowship with him and the Father. And we were talking about knowing just as he is in the prayer. Uh, and I lay my, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That would be us Gentiles. I must bring them also and they will they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge, that's a word for commandment or mandate. The mandate on the life of Jesus is, I, is to lay down his life, to take it up again, and so to provide eternal life for his sheep. This, this charge I have received from my Father. So I have manifested your name to the men you gave me. I know them, they know me. They've kept your word. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You don't, you don't believe because you're not my sheep, he says. My sheep hear my voice and tongue. And so they've kept. That word for kept is like the word for what shepherds do over sheep. They keep sheep. The shepherds were out on Christmas story, you know, they were out in the night keeping their sheep. That's the same word. They look after, they receive, they accept, they collect, they take care of. So the the sheep of Jesus also keep him. Interesting. Well, so he spells this out in chapter 17. though He says, they've come to know that everything you gave me is from you. And then he says, that's A. They've come to know that everything you gave me is from you. They've received the things given by the Father to the Son. I think, oh, this is like in the description in chapter 1 where Jesus, the Son, the Word is described as full of grace and truth. What is it we've received from Him that was given to us by the Father through Him? Grace and truth. That's kind of a summary <laughs> there's a lot of details in grace and truth am i right the right to become children of god as many as received him to them he gave the right the authority to claim i'm god's child see they've truly understood he says that the son came from the father the that, that word for truly understood here is the word for taken hold. <laughs> that the Son came from the... And that's the theme in the whole book of John, right? Believe in... If you believe in the one who sent me or if you believe in the one he sent, it goes back and forth. The whole question is Jesus is sent from the Father. He's the Son, the eternal Son, made flesh, sent from the Father. And they've trusted themselves. They've understood that the Son came from the Father and they've believed, that's D, trusted themselves to the fact that the Father sent the Son.
1: What is
0: Oh, sorry. Hey, I'll go through the whole list. They've come to know that everything you've given me is from you. B, They've received the things given by the Father to the Son. Grace, truth, right to become children. C, they've truly understood that the Son came from the Father. And D, they've believed that the Father sent the Son. That And believed is a little more than understood. They've trusted themselves to it. You might notice that those are kind of like four ways of talking about kind of the same thing. They've kept your word. When Jesus spoke the word of God and Jesus is the word of God in their presence, they take a hold of it. They get it. They grasp it. That Peter says, uh, we're not going anywhere. You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe you're the Holy One of Israel. Or You know, you can't you can't desert that. So they have kept your word. Now, all of this, this is really interesting. Why is Jesus talking about what the, what the chosen people have done? In the middle of this prayer, glorify the son, glorify me. Glorify me. I get, why is he talking about us? I, I should say them, but it includes us. Well, he says so. And by the way, this is a public prayer. So there's more than one listener. Jesus is praying to the Father and teaching the disciples all at the same time. Mm-hmm. On purpose. Because there's stuff he says here that's clearly for our benefit. We need to hear this. We are the ones who need to know that eternal life is knowing him. I mean, he's not telling God something God doesn't know. Well, okay, so, where am I? For whom does Jesus pray? Well, here he says it. For I've given them your word. Sorry, I've got to find my place here. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now, Now they've come to know that everything you've given me is from you. The words which you gave me, I've given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed, they trusted that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. Wait a second now. What did he ask? Most of what he said here is just statements of fact. It's not an ask. What did he ask? Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That's what he asked. Who was he asking for that for? Them those I've manifested your name to, those who've kept your word, those who believe that you sent me. Us. So when Jesus prays that God would glorify him with the glory, the eternal glory of the seated at the right hand fellowship, why, who's that for? Not just him, us. We are the beneficiaries of this glorification of the Son. Not for the world, he says. Thanks. (laughs) Not for the world. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world. But for those whom you've given me they're yours and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. I have been glorified in them. Oh, so the apostles have seen, recognized and trusted in and rejoiced in the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been glorified in them. And so He is returning to fellowship with the Father, and in Him, so do we. The scripture says this explicitly in Ephesians chapter 2. He raised us up with Him and seated us together with Him in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. So even now, we in Christ operate in that right hand fellowship with the Father. Why do we need the Father to glorify the Son in His presence? It's obvious to all Christians, I suppose, that we need the Father to glorify the Son in the cross. And we think, oh, we need the resurrection because it validates the cross. What do we need the ascension for? Because that's what Jesus is praying here. He's praying for us that he would ascend back to the Father. For us. Well, what's he doing there? He, according to Hebrews, is there ever living to make intercession for us. He's there to introduce us into that place of the great holy of holies of God. We have access to the throne of grace not just because He died for our sins, but because He's there, seated, enjoying that eternal, glorious, reflective glory of God in the very throne room of God. And so we have that fellowship in Him. Our fellowship with the Father is in the Son. And in their fellowship. The Son is the representation of the Father. He's the high priest, That's, this is the high priestly prayer. He's the representation of the Father to us. We've seen Him, we've seen the Father. And He's the representation of us before the Father. I died for Him. I died for her. I'm my sacrifice atones for his or her or their sin my they can be here because I'm here and they're with me that's how the glorification of the son is something we need Uh, it's not just something he desired it's something we need and so, also, the glorification of the Son through the sacrifice of the cross is how we have eternal life, which is knowing God. <laughs> how do I know God? In Christ. How, do I, how, did I, how did that happen? Well, God the Father drew me because I was His, and he gave me to the Son. And he gave his Spirit. That's how he drew me. So that I was born again, according to John chapter 3, born again of the Spirit. And so when I see Jesus, I see the only begotten Son sent by God to give his life for my sins, uh, risen from the dead, and ascended to the right hand so that the glory of God, the triune God, now operates to draw me into that circle of glory. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> That's a lot for seven. <laughs> I, I want to remember this thing, these things that God's glorious provision for his children through the life of Christ that I really need. Uh, and to bear this in mind, I think I also need to remember when, you know, life doesn't coincide with my wishes To remember this, it's like, oh, what was I troubled by? This is beyond compare, a glorious reality. Okay, knowing God in Christ is a life. There's a name for everything else, dead. I shouldn't end a talk with the word dead, do you think? So, knowing God in Christ is life. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> so, questions, comments, reflections, discussions?
1: <laughs> now that you blew
0: our heads off. <laughs> <Wasn't> me.
2: <laughs> you know, when we were reading it, um, but then you already answered it, but was, I was thinking, like, um, like Jesus was praying, I was like, how did he really transcript that exact one sentence? Mm-hmm. You know, like, now we would have recorded him if he was, you know, like, we would have <laughs> to be on a podcast, pipe, you know, yeah, <laughs> but then when he said that he was doing this publicly, I'm like, okay, that makes sense, there were right. more people listening, you know, yeah, oh. Yeah, but this is by the way. After it would
0: have been difficult to right. write exactly what he said. That was always yeah. well, This is after Judas left yeah. the room, by the yeah. way, and also I think we have to give the Holy Spirit some credit for yeah. the, for the right for John's down. recollections yeah. and direction. I don't know that we need to uh, think that uh, when John records the words of Christ that it's like a ver- like a verbatim quotation like we'd see on the news you know right. uh, it's uh, it's the words of Christ uh, in terms of the inspired meaning so whether it's inclusive like Jesus might have said things that aren't recorded here and whether he said it exactly he's, he's it's written that The gospel's written in Greek, and Jesus probably wasn't speaking Greek. So, you know, that... But But, but the essence is there, you know? He was in the room when these things were said. The essence is there just like the
1: little worm was there. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. and I I guess I want to say a little more than the essence. I want to say the essential essence. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the essence as we actually need to have it. And right. as God specifically intends to give in the scripture. Yeah. So every word of scripture, every word is inspired. Yeah. The
1: whole thing is uh,
0: is that the two realms.
1: The, the realms are so clear here. He knows where he's going. He knows where he's been. And he's speaking of the world and then of the world the chosen ones in the little of chose. He's making distinctions there in this realm, knowing full well that he's going to the next realm. Mm-hmm. All thinking about us and how we're going to be translated there as well. is all in- embodying these 10 verses in a way that just blows your mind. Mm-hmm. In the clarity with which he's describing his prior life and the fact that God knew those chosen ones before the world was created (laughs) and that he's in that he's they've come to him and now you know he's going to go away but he's doing all this in full recognition of all of that it's just it's It's
0: it's a it's an amazing amount of uh rich theology that's packed into a pretty short text yeah it's (laughs) like you could You could swim in this pool for a long time. (laughs) For sure. So, my
2: question, that's the question I asked all the time, is I think all of us can recognize or should recognize that we have a hunger for glory. It's like it's in us that we want to be glorified. And I want to know is it biblical to pray this prayer, Um, Jesus' praise, as like? Ourselves, Father, glorify me in Your Son. Like, give me the glory You want me to have. Like, is there a way to pray that it's biblical? Like, I want only want recognition that comes from a life lived in those with You. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what it makes sense when I ask.
0: Yeah, I don't think we can specifically pray pray the prayer that Jesus is praying because we're not the eternal Son. So we didn't have any glory with the Father before the yeah. world was, uh, but we are wrapped up into the glory of God. And there's more to this in later on in the prayer. Read the rest of the chapter; it's got some answers to your question that I'm not prepared to talk about in detail right now. But uh, it does; it is a shared glory. So I think the basic answer to your question is probably yes, but cautious, yeah. right? Like. Yeah, not, not like Jesus, but like Jesus, you know. So, uh, yes, it is, it is appropriate uh, on a certain level. Also, I think if we're asking for the light of Christ to be visible in our own lives, that's clearly a biblical prayer. And uh, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount when he says... Uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good deeds. And, and what? Glor- glorify your father. Right. That is a similar kind of idea where well, why would someone see your good deeds and glorify someone else? Why, are, why doesn't it glorify you? And apparently that also is visible. In other words, when they see your good works in the light of Christ, then your good works cannot be explained on account of you alone. And so God must have been, they're not just your good works, they're divine works. And this is similar to what Jesus is talking about in the, in the, in the upper room discourse when he's talking about, well, if you don't believe me, he's talking about I and the Father are one. This is visible in his works. So he says, if you don't take my word for it, believe the works. You see the operation of the Father in the life of the Son. And that is a reality that should be accessible and accessed to whatever degree in our own lives. So something definitely to pray for.
1: I, I my sense on this: is as long as you give that glory to Him and not keep it for you, then you have. It. As soon as you start keeping that glory for you, you're in trouble. Well, and
0: that that of course it. Well, it's pointless in the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that sort of self-involved glorification. It's not real. It's an illusion. I do think it's interesting to think about, you mentioned at the beginning of your question, we are sort of glory hounds. You know, uh, we're the only glory hound creatures. There's something about bearing the image of God in that reality. There's not a chimpanzee in the world that wants to be famous. Now, chimpanzees are smart. Gorillas can even learn language and communicate and have emotions. And, you know, we've studied this stuff. We can see they're, they're pretty sophisticated. None of them are interested in becoming famous.
2: They are famous. Some of them are famous. There are famous animals, but they don't care.
0: <laughs> they don't care. Yeah. And like, we will make even animals famous or mountains or blah, blah, all kinds of stuff. We have a, we have a fame orientation. Mm. That's glory. That's a glory concept that's sort of intrinsic to our nature. Now, how does that? come about through random physical processes. Uh, I suppose it could have, but what a weird accident that would be. And, you know, that's certainly not any easier to, harder to believe, any easier to believe than there's a personal, relational, eternally relational God who made us all. And whose own orientation is glory. And so we, made in his image, reflect that. So we're glory hounds. And in the fall, that turns in on us Mm -hmm. and it corrupts us and becomes an element of our corruption that we are seeking our own glory. Mm -hmm. And what a ridiculous suicidal act is that? We want to be like Dad, and we want to be as smart as <laughs> Dad. Yeah, in fact, we want to take that his place. Yeah, yeah, I could be smart. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what it is. That's what it sort of boils down. So. Yeah.
2: I think Jesus was tempted to, to, to satisfy uh, his good, I guess, hunger for glory. Mm hmm. He was tempted by saying, Satan. Satan I can give you glory. I can give you all the kingdoms of the world now. You don't need to go to the cross. I can give it to you now. Right. So, so maybe right. glory is okay as long as we're willing to accept the cross.
0: <laughs> yeah, good, uh, good thought. If <laughs> there's yeah. no
2: cross, then it's not good
0: glory. Right. Good. Well, and if it's not ultimately directed to God, right. the Father, you know, then it's not it's it's false and it's an idol. I mean if I seek my own glorification I'm I'm putting myself in his place. If I seek to bring glory to him that's different. And Jesus said this right here when he's at praying about the glorification of the cross. He says glorify me so i glorify you yeah not so i can have all the glory this what we could see here is the divine generosity that is an eternal thing the the generosity of relationship among the three persons of the trinity is eternal that means it's always been and so there's this fight over the glory that's pushing it to the other not trying to possess it to oneself this is where Adam fails right he he doesn't live for God's glory which is what it means to be made in the image of likeness and likeness of God it means to carry the glory of God around the world by having more children. And so exhibiting God's nature and character all over the place. Well, he says, I'll have that for myself. And you can't have it for yourself because the very nature of it is others oriented. So, yeah, we... We're in deep water here. But. <laughs> so, I guess if
2: that's Knowing that when you ask what's the purpose of life, question sin. Yeah? Glorify
0: God. Right. And how does anyone glorify God? Trust in Trust the one know. he sent. Yeah. And live from there.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's another facet that's, I think I figured it out. I I awesome. It's <laughs> awesome. Is that, um, uh, I don't know where it is, but it talks about living for God's glory rather than man's glory. Mm-hmm. Basically, living for, for God's mm-hmm. acknowledgement mm-hmm. under God's eyes. I think that's, um, that's what I want to know. To whom will God give his glory? To, to whom will God? Give his approval to mm-hmm. you know well done or, I'm good and fit face or anything else in glory for. I think that's part of my question. Is that I'm not looking for glory for glory's sake, I'm looking right. for a, a specific glory. I'm looking for glory that comes from him. Right. You know exactly. And that's when I'm gonna find out what is it really, you know?
0: And it's it's always, always tied up to the Intimacy of our fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit. That it, always, that's the thing that produces the life that glorifies Him, that He glorifies. I, you, you know, it's, it's always this roundabout thing. Like, he, uh, he wants to see His greatness exhibited in us. That's what it means to be created in His likeness and image. So to see the nature and character of God put on display in the material world.
1: Basically, God would never. Well,
2: knowing this, God wouldn't give you a pat on the back just because
0: you did good on your own. Good on your own isn't good, right?
1: Good right. On, good that's right. Remember, nothing. remember what He told the Pharisees: You guys walk around looking miserable when you're fasting go in the closet, close the door, and fast.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> and pray to your Father, who will see you in secret. Pray to him in secret. It. All ministry. your
0: righteous deeds are... Yes. Yeah. The problem is not that they're unrighteous. The problem is that they're yours. Right. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Like it, Your righteous deeds is means when you do good. And the problem is not that. The problem is that it's you doing good, seeking the Mm self-approval. I want to... Seeking glory. I want to put... I want to... Yeah, exactly. I want to obligate God toward me. And other people.
1: that's
0: upside down. Yeah, that's, the, that's self-righteous. Self-righteous is unrighteous. Even when it's doing the right thing from and for self, it's missing the point which is life is knowing God. All right, well, we better stop. We've gone for over, over, over an hour. <laughs> I could talk about this all day and tomorrow too so come back I'll talk about it some more tomorrow
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. all right well, let's let me uh, let me say a word of prayer and we'll uh, we'll call it quits. father thank you what an amazing thing you have showered on us in Christ. Thank you Lord. We pray that these things would be... Uh, true in our hearts and in our minds and made real in our lives Lord we we know that uh, we forget these things so easily and then we don't live from and for your glory Lord help us we pray for the work of the spirit in our hearts to help us to trust these things and to live
1: from there